Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome back to See Also. I'm Brody Lancaster. And I'm Kate Jinks. And BL, what have you been up to? I feel like what I've been up to is not as exciting as yours, but we'll leave you for the finale, shall we? Well, you've been traveling. I have been traveling. I went to Queensland on the weekend. The Sunshine. Is that the Sunshine State? While I lived there as a teenager, they changed it from Sunshine State to Smart State. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, you said it. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, no offense. I'm from there, so I can say it. I did feel a little like now that I live in Melbourne, I felt a little pro and true from Kath and Kim, who when Melbourne gets cold, they go to summer in Noosa. <laughs> Because I went up to Brisbane to visit my sister and my brother-in-law and my little niece. And then we took a little trip to the Gold Coast together so I could take Alexis, my niece, to her first AFL game. Cute. (laughs) Because as established in recent episodes of the podcast, I'm a jock. Mm -hmm. And I achieved finally a very big goal that I set for myself at the end of last year slash start of this year. One of my 2022 goals was to pack light learn to pack light enough to just travel with a carry-on. Well done. Thank you. It was actually like a big deal when I was going through security and they, I was just putting everything I had on the belt and they were like, no laptops, no iPads. And the first time I went through, I said, no, I'm having a screen-free weekend. (laughs) And she was like, okay, (laughs) I don't know you. I don't care. Good for you, bitch. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Thanks to your July carry-on, which you mentioned a few episodes ago, um, it made it really easy. And now I have one in a cart that I'm going to buy for myself. Just picking a colour, I imagine. It's a very efficient way to travel. Isn't it? Yeah, it really is with that little board that like 
packs everything down, squeezes the air out of your clothes. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. Anyway, Queensland was freakishly warm. All the sunsets look like airbrush paintings. It was really wild, but quite nice. I did regress in one way and re-downloaded Twitter mm-hmm. while I was in Queensland. No judgment, actually, Bill. No judgment. Look, we've all got to do it sometimes. I did realize one of the times that I really need Twitter on my phone is when I'm waiting for a tram and it's really late and I have to go on Yarra trams to see if there's an outage. But other than that, there are very few times when I really (laughs) miss having Twitter on my phone. Mm -hmm. I just come up with a silly thought and I think I could tweet that. And then I just don't, I let it disappear into the air. Are you sad that those tweets are being lost to the ether? No, because they're so dumb. (laughs) I would have like last year before my, like I wrote the Vogue cover story on Billie Eilish last year and I was just bracing myself for like getting doxxed <laughs> by her fans. And so I like, it wasn't a vicious takedown. It wasn't, but they, they're kind of not very nice. Mm. Um, no fans are really on mass on Twitter. And so I paid for this software that like deleted all of my tweets up until the previous year. So a lot of them are gone. A lot of those silly thoughts are just gone. And you know what? I don't miss them. Hang on. You got a program that deleted all of your tweets? In case some Billie Eilish fan tried to find something incriminating about me. Ah. Not that I think I've ever said anything on Twitter that's like problematic, but I have had it since I was like 18 years old. So the likelihood is high that Mm. there is something dumb that I've said. Yeah, because I know people who have been employed to basically clean the Twitter profiles of up and coming potential celebs. Wow. Yeah. I'd be good at that job. So that they, like you have to go through all the whole, you know, their, their whole Twitterverse to look for potentially incriminating things and get rid of those but leave up enough so that it still looks authentic so it still looks like you're a normal person not an industry plant yeah yeah i re-downloaded twitter when i got to the airport actually before i got to the airport because i wanted to post a video of the really beautiful sunset at the football game um but then when i got to the airport i was newly mad about when you leave the virgin terminal at melbourne airport now and there's no taxi rank there is instead an uber rank And usually I walk all the way down past Qantas, past international arrivals, and then a bit further to get a taxi because I want to support taxi drivers in Melbourne. But I arrived like first thing in the morning on Monday and I was exhausted and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to get in an Uber. I opened my phone and it was trying to charge me $88 minimum from the airport to my house, which in a cab is 50 to $55. And I was like, no, I refuse. So I hightailed it to the cab rank, got home, and then I tweeted about how annoyed I was. Mm -hmm. And someone replied, inferring that I should have taken the Sky Bus instead. (laughs) Well, it's only $17 one way. (laughs) That's literally what he said. (laughs) So then I went to reply, and then instead of replying, I deleted Twitter off my phone again. And I was just reminded of how much... People replying to me is the thing that I hate about being on the internet a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Remember a time when social media was fun? It was like you post things and then people want to talk to you about them and that was a positive thing. Yeah, it's like you meet people. It's the start of a dialogue. But no, now it's just like people wanting to correct you 
at all times. I want to have zero dialogue. I'm going to put a link in our show notes to a piece that I read this week that I really resonated with. It's in the substack called Dirt, which is about like internet entertainment, etc. Um, it's by a writer called Kyle Chaker, and it's about like inflation and about how when everything on social media is a like, you know how you like Instagram stories now and they're kind of meaningless. Like what does that count for? compared to a fire emoji reaction or a a comment on a post. Anyway, it's this really fun piece. I'm not doing it justice, but it made me realize that I don't want to like stuff. I don't want to get likes. I just <laughs> want to exist. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm about to delete my Instagram. Who knows? Mm. I'm not. No, I don't think you are. Yeah. I, I, I quite You'd enjoy it. from Carol's. We know that. <laughs> Carol underscore very good girl. <laughs> <laughs> Love her. Um, Jinxie, you've been up to quite a lot. Yes, quite a lot and not a lot uh, at the same time. Like I, I have no real pop culture to discuss with you on like the small screen way. I have been keeping up with Only Murders in the Building. It's just getting better. I am really adoring that show and I love that I can't binge it. I love that it's only mm. one episode a week because it is a real little jewel of like a however long it goes for. I don't even know. It's just like that is... The comfiest time for me. How is Amy Schumer in it? I haven't started yet, but I've heard bits and pieces about Amy Schumer being on this season. I was a little concerned when she showed up and uh, she's very good. She's very good. Fun. Shirley MacLaine is in it and she's great. Okay, great. Yeah, you got it. Anyway. I got to do it. I'm on Love Island, except (laughs) my, they keep me from binging by giving me an episode a day. Oh, what? No, it's like MasterChef. My sister was like, maybe I'll start Love Island. How many episodes are there? And I was like, 36. Yeah, too many, too many. (laughs) So far. We have not discussed, before we get into my stuff, Mm. uh, let's get into Jen Shah's stuff. Holy heck. (laughs) Whoa. The Shah rest has turned into the Shah guilty plea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not so amazing. It is not amazing. I feel for Sharif. That's not a pun. That's his name. Coach um, Shah. Coach Shah. But also Jen Shah. For people who don't know, Jen Shah, star of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, was arrested on camera um, last March. And we got to watch it in the most recent season, season two of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Rahoslika. Um <laughs> It just rolls off the tongue. Um, we got to watch her be arrested on camera with ter- a terrible outfit, terrible look. And then the whole rest of the season, her insisting that she didn't do it. I did not defraud elderly people in a wire, like phone telemarketing scheme. I did not do it. I don't know anything about it. And then she just got up in front of a court yesterday and was like, I did it. I knew that they were over 55. I did it knowing that I was stealing their money fraudulently. She faced up to 14 years in prison. Yeah, but by pleading guilty, like if she'd gone to trial, it could have been up to 50 years in prison. Oh, wow. Do you think uh, Stu Chains turned on her? Well, Jen Shah turned on Stu Chains on the show. She completely blamed her assistant for it. Yeah. On camera. Remember? But maybe they were in that together. I think there's something weird going on about with Stu Chains. Apparently his wife didn't know that he was filming a reality show until she watched (sighs) season one. Oh my God. Also that Stu Chains is straight and married with a wife. Mm, Yeah. Remember the episode in the most recent season where Jen Shah's mother, who was a school teacher for like 40 years, told her that she'd cashed out her entire retirement to pay for Jen's legal defense. Like it's very upsetting to think of what 
the repercussions of this are going to be for that family who she like shipped in to Utah to live and mm. pay for their lives. I'm more worried about Mary's reaction on the next season because I cannot stand Mary and I don't want to give her anything to Is, is Mary off the show? About. Oh, is she? I think maybe. I'm worried about Heather. Well, no, Heather stuck by her a little too much last season. I think Heather has some lingering trauma from growing up as a Mormon mm-hmm. and she just wants to believe the best in everybody and she believes whatever people tell her and then she just ends up kind of looking like she's got egg on her face. I know Jen Chow can call a Shrek and a manatee and she's like, yep, okay, that's pretty funny. And she's like, yep, well, that's my friend and everyone's <laughs> free to have an opinion about other people's looks. It's like, Heather, What? I love Heather, but also I do call her Shrek or the manatee all the time. <laughs> well, she gave you permission. She did. She yeah. lolled. It's fine. She consented. But yeah, anyway, that was some wild news. I really needed that news yesterday. Oh, it was huge news. <laughs> so we're going to chat this week. We're going to do a little book club episode, a novel that Kate and I have both read very recently and been kind of dying to talk about with one another. Loved it. Loved. The book is Sunbathing by Isabel Beach. She's a Melbourne writer and the book takes place over a couple of sun-kissed months in a small town in Italy where our narrator, who does not have a name, uh, she's a girl from Melbourne. She's traveled to Italy at kind of a moment's notice There is a wedding on the horizon of some very close friends of hers, but there is also some very recent grief kind of hanging over the novel. She has a parent who she's recently lost to suicide. And as the novel unfolds, you kind of just live in her process of reckoning with the past, her relationship with her parent, and also her kind of grappling with that in like a very tactile, like sensory present in this Italian home. I read this while I was traveling Mm -hmm. and I only allowed myself little snippets of it on Mm. planes and buses. I remember when you were in Cannes and you were, you were updating me as you went along. Yeah. And I really could not wait to get to the next, you know, leg of the trip just so that I could be back in this really beautiful world that Isabel created. Mm. The like rolling hills of Abruzzo, Italy. Oh, My God. Mamma mia. Right? And the way that Isabel wrote about this village, it really felt like I had been there and I was there. I really like it it had this I like miss when it. you said it was <laughs> you had a sensory reaction to it or she writes about it in this very sensory way I really felt that Mm. gave me a sense of nostalgia for a place I've never been to yeah there's a moment where um you know she's just there for a trip and our narrator leaves this place and her friends she's been staying with and I sobbed as if it were me getting on that bus and leaving that place like I felt it so I've never been to I've never been to fucking Europe but I was there and it was so beautiful I haven't like felt in italics a book this intensely in like a very long time. Neither have I. And I don't, I'm not one to get worked up in a book. I have to say I read Mm. a lot, but I don't have 
big emotional moments much with mm. when I'm reading. I'm yeah. not that person, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I just haven't found the right book, but I... I'm not that kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> but this book really touched me in, uh, I guess, in a very specific way about parental grief, which we can get into. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It just really captured very special moment in time for a person. Mm -hmm. I think we've all had those moments might not have taken place in the countryside of Italy, Mm. but just these sorts of scenes in your life, I suppose. Yeah. She's, she's so observational in her writing. Like you really feel the narrator's disaffection and you can really empathize with that, but you also get kind of yanked out of it along with her as, as time passes and, and her head clears a little and like you feel the haze start to lift the longer that she's in this like very restorative place. She starts to notice things and like you feel her kind of moving and breathing differently throughout this time. And you are like feeling it with her as she like goes through the world and starts noticing things and appreciating things around her, which is very hard to do when you're like deep in grief and depression and you know I think I texted you a a photo of my favorite line on a page where because it also is like brutally funny at times which Mm. is a very challenging thing to do in a book with such a loaded topic at the heart of it but she says in an aside she's describing like you know taking a solo trip into the city center and like eating food and like talking to people. And she says, I was having the best time or maybe a manic episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really love that part of the book. I think that she really captured this thing that happens to you when you're traveling, particularly if you're traveling solo or just have a day off by yourself and you feel really awkward because you don't speak the language or you don't speak it very well. And you're in a place that you've never been to before and something happens and you decide to just go with it and embrace the weirdness of it, I I suppose, and just that anything can happen and that it becomes quite charming and Mm. you can have these, like, funny little conversations with people that you're not usually speaking to you know and she talks about in the in the scene she, like all it is is she's going she buys a cup of coffee and then buy some cheese you know it's a very small little scene but it's really something that stood out to me that just really captured that travel feeling you know and perhaps it's that thing of like not many of us have traveled very much recently and this is all about escaping to somewhere new and escaping the idea of the old you or something that you're kind Mm. of not running away from, but that you don't want to think about right now. And Mm. so you're pushing something away and being somewhere new because that is, you know, being somewhere new is all encompassing and that's Mm. all you can think about. God, that's, yeah, that just made me think of how I don't think I've been able to articulate it before this, but like, so much of the way the character is dealing with her grief is like blocking everything out. And that is the chapter in the book where she is letting everything in again, you know, she's open and whether it's like the feeling of seeing an animal or eating something really delicious, like she's aware of it and she's open to it. She's not putting up walls out of like self-protection and, and grief. Mm. I think also mentioning like the humor of it is so important that even though we're talking about, 
tasting some cheese or some berries or, you know, picking, you know, watering some plants, you know, in the beautiful... God, I wanted to be watering the plants oh, in the garden. My, the no. fucking garden. Oh, my God. The beans from the garden oh, for dinner. Beans. I know. I the really tablecloths. Oh, my God. The wine, the local wine. When you all just put two tables together outside because it's so warm. You're going to eat outside tonight. Oh, exactly. Fucking hell. It reminds me, a bit of a tangent, but the memoir written by... Joan Lindsay, who wrote Picnic at Hanging Rock, uh-huh. she talked about it's really stayed with me for a good 15, 20 years at this point. Yeah, what's Joan up to now? Well, it's like it's a, it's a food mention, but she talks about how she and her husband, I think it was wartime and they didn't have any money, but as long as they had a cheap bottle of red wine and some bread and a bit of cheese that they were good, like they were happy. Mm. I always think about that. Mm. So delightful. Ina Garten, I know when she and Jeffrey go back to mm-hmm. Paris, there is a lot of just like baguette and fromage on the like, what is it, the Seine in Paris? Never been. They just like sit and eat outside and they're just tearing bread off with their hands. Oh, you got to. You just got to. You simply must. Oh, I know it's a cliche when you're talking about like summer in Italy to mention Call Me By Your Name. But like you can't not. little shirtless Timothée cracking open a hard-boiled egg outside. Oh, yeah. Delightful. That's summer, baby. Oh, there's a scene near the end of Pain and Glory, the really wonderful Almodovar film where Penelope Cruz, all she has is this, it's all about the crusty baguettes. She's got a crusty baguette and just a block of chocolate. And I think about that oh. as a meal all the time. We gotta do it. We can't do it here. Can't do it here. Gotta do it in Europe, baby. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the funny moments too there, and they're really surprising. It's not like it's a laugh a minute book by any means, but you know, there is like a real power. There is a point in the book where the narrator is at like a support group for um other adult children of people who they've lost to suicide, and it made me Literally, LOL, <laughs> which is... You wouldn't expect it. Yeah, I was not expecting it because I was sobbing one minute and laughing out loud the next because it's the kind of thing where when you're in like a weird meeting that's taking too long and you catch eyes with someone across the room and you have to stifle a laugh because everyone's just like going off on a tangent or there's like infighting between the people at the support group. It's just so funny the the way that Isabel writes dialogue is really excellent one of the one of the key scenes in this book takes place at I guess like a not really a house party kind of a kick on like people after being out all night drinking sitting around a table and you know they talk about like heating up the plate in the microwave for lines and it's all very of a time and place and scene but the book is kind of vaguely set around the time of me too of people starting to speak about this publicly and there is just some dialogue in there of young privileged men who are all of a sudden acting as if their lives and their safety and their world is coming crumbling down because their future is suddenly on the line or being treated like it doesn't matter. And it was so fucking satisfying to read. It was like, 
you know, every time you're in one of those charge situations and you go home and the next day you think, God, if only I'd said this thing, mm-hmm. that would have been really great and it would have ended them. Um, our narrator is kind of sitting there going, I want to say something really cutting and like really fuck shit up. And then she does. And it's so satisfying. Yeah. I loved that scene. I have been to that party so many times. We've been to those parties. Yeah. And that the conversation just becomes completely drenched by this guy who basically won't shut up and won't let the women speak. And then it's like, you're being aggressive. And you always turn on me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, we know that guy. Now that I don't live there anymore, I can mention this without being like doxxed, but <laughs> I, I spent the last almost six years living near the top of Rucker's Hill in Northcote, a suburb north of Melbourne. And the beginning of that chapter is all of those people walking to that house up that hill that is so familiar to me. I got off the tram there every single day for six years. You stayed in my house mm-hmm. when I lived there. I know the hill. Um, it's a bit of a, it's not, it's a slight incline, but when you're tired, it's fucking hard. And the way that Izzy describes this group of people walking up the hill and they stop halfway and they're like rolling cigarettes or stopping to take in the like really excellent view of the city from there because they're all kind of huffing and puffing their way up. I was like, that is, I feel seen. I feel represented. (laughs) This is my Melbourne captured in a book. And it just made me realize that like when it is done well, writing about the place that you live is just so satisfying to read. I've only had this experience very rarely reading about Melbourne, especially contemporary Melbourne. Like I've read Monkey Grip, but I didn't live in like Helen Garner's 1970s Melbourne. Thank Christ. (laughs) Um, And, you know, like there was a Guardian piece last week about Melbourne being the most livable city in Australia again. And it described, I got really annoyed at the way that it described Melbourne. It said it has the same spirit as someone who always uses a bookmark, who calls eating biscuits being a bit naughty and who (laughs) sets five alarms to wake up in time for yoga. What? No. And I was like, that's not the place that I have lived for 15 years. By someone who lives in Melbourne? Yeah, it was. And I just could not have disagreed more. Um, And I was, it made me feel angry and like offended. And so reading sunbathing and seeing my Melbourne, hashtag my Melbourne, um, staring (laughs) back at me, it was so satisfying. And like the way that Izzy describes it is really apt like there's I think there's one part she describes Melbourne as like a place that loves talking about itself Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of thing that you say with love but you're also like shut the fuck up Mm -hmm. me doing it right now shut the fuck up we get it we get it I hate using the word authenticity I hate it it's a gross word to use you only do it when you go to Chinese restaurants right (laughs) 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 sorry (laughs) everything in this book is so deeply felt by the main character and the author. And I was a little trepidatious about reading it at first um, because it does deal with parental grief uh, at its core. And, well, not at its core, there's so much going on, but that's, you know, one of the central themes. And, but I know that Izzy did go through this and uh, actually her father died really close to when my mum died a number of years ago. And... I just really deeply connected with the like representation of that kind of grief. Mm-hmm. Although my mother did not die in such uh, traumatic circumstances, death is always tragic and traumatic in a way. And 
Yeah, I just, I, there was just something about it where the main character, never named, is just choosing when to talk about it and when she, when she wants to, like when she's ready to really talk about it, not that you're hiding it or anything like that. And actually it's really nice when someone does say, you know, like there's that thing of when someone dies, you don't want to mention the death of this person near them for fear that you'll jog their memory and that then they'll suddenly be thinking of that. The person is always thinking about it. So it's actually just nice to be like seen in that way. Yeah. I just thought it was a really beautiful reflection on grief and, and especially parental grief in that way. Mm. And there was a quote in an interview with Isabel um, from the guardian from a few months ago when the book came out and she said, grief in the end, after the numbness and pretending, wasn't just painful and painfully lonely. It took the comfort out of the everyday so that I was required to search for it. There was a time, a year into it, where I began staring at clouds and grazing my fingers against tree leaves wistfully. I was waking up to the incessant beauty of life on earth because losing a person had reminded me this is not for everyone and it is not for long. I was really struck by that and I've, you know, really went through that myself and I'm sure that many listeners will, that will hit home for them. And, um, yeah, I just really wanted to say that if you're kind of feeling a bit worried about reading the book because you're going through your own thing, it's actually a really lovely thing to read. Mm. The way that she had, the narrator writes to her parent throughout the book as well and not in like a dear dad, here's a letter kind of way, but it's is it the first part is written in the first person. It's saying like, you did this and you did that. Do you remember that? You know, so you're reading fiction that is directed at the person who the narrator has lost, which is a really brilliant way of doing it. I think because it, it also gets it rather than saying like, I thought about this and I thought about that. It's addressing questions to the person that you are thinking about as well. It's a really good book for right now too, because really it's about, re-entering the world Mm. and about, you know, there's still shit going on. You're still dealing with everything, but Mm. you're coming back out, I suppose. What you said before too about when you're speaking to a person who has lost a parent, it is the thing that you maybe are not talking about, but everyone is thinking about it. There is that really sweet moment in the book where someone says like, you could talk to people about it, you know, like, like tell your friends how you're feeling. And she has a moment of going, what do I say? Like, how do I say it? And it's just really fascinating because this character, as long as we've known her in the novel, you know, in that house party scene, for example, she's the one who has like the line to kind of like a like mic drop moment that makes everyone kind of go, yeah, like, you know, she's always got the right thing to say, even though we see her inner workings and we know mm. that that takes time and effort. So it's just really sweet as well. And I think that goes to show that like the people who you think have it all together maybe need to be checked on as well. There is, you know, I talked about how funny the writing can be, but there's also, you know, the way that Isabel writes about social media, I found really fun and really relatable. Not that I read fiction to find something to relate to. I think that's doing it wrong, but I saw a lot of like recognizable behavior in that empty feeling of you open an app like Instagram and you resent doing it and you scroll and you think like your cuntiest thoughts about the people (laughs) that you see or the things that you're seeing. 
You take the screenshots, they clog your photos folder. (laughs) You have to get an app. You hate yourself for doing it. And then three minutes later, you're doing it again. And then at the end of the day, you've been on your phone for seven hours or more. I deleted Twitter following your lead and Facebook from my phone, which was partly inspired by you, Jinxie, and partly by this book. Like there's a moment where our narrator is like, fuck it, I'm going to fucking clean every inch of my house, which also relatable. And at the end she deletes the apps and she like holds them. She describes like holding them down. They jiggle. And then they say like, if you delete this, it's going to delete all your data as well. And she just writes good fuck off with like an exclamation (laughs) mark. And I have never related to anything more than wanting Twitter to fuck off. Totally. Everything's Mm -hmm. annoying. Don't talk to me on the internet. Yeah. Don't at me. Don't at me. I want to go to Italy. It feels so trite to say that I want to like pack it all in and move somewhere provincial and just plant a garden and read and listen to nature and cook from my fresh local produce. But I just have to emphasize those descriptions of Italy. I really want to pack it all in. Oh, mamma mia. Move to a house with a stone floor and have my provincial life like fucking bell from beauty and the beast (laughs) well if you've seen under the tuscan sun those stone floors are you know a thing to be reckoned with i love under the tuscan sun it is truly aspirational content i love sandra (laughs) oh in that film me too raising a baby with a best friend oh Oh, spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) it came out when (laughs) like 1989 1991 or something catch up catch up um i've got a couple of see also's Mm -hmm. uh if what I said about the, you know, going through grief and, and, and particularly parental grief is something that you're dealing with. I found that reading was really helpful for me. Of course, there's the Joan Didion's, but a book that came out last year really touched me. I also know the author, Yanto Ware, who wrote this incredible memoir called Mother and I. Uh, it was about Yanto's childhood with his single mother, Dimity, who was a pretty eccentric and completely bolshy lesbian in working class Adelaide. You've never met a woman like her, such an incredible, incredible character who Yanto just captures in such great detail and does not place her on a pedestal at any point. And so Dimity had multiple medical issues, but she just sort of never gave up and she passed away a couple of years ago and Yanto writes all about how about her childhood and how living with this woman in Adelaide affected him and his childhood and carries that um, all, all the way through to her death a few years ago. And I believe he's working on another novel now. But it came out like last year and it got rave reviews and I just simply adored it. It's called Mother and I. And then the other one is The Cost of Living by Deborah Levy, which is the second in her beautiful trilogy of kind of autofiction memoirs. But she talks in this one about losing her mother. And there was one line that really stood out to me in it. And it was a big release from the terror of death to finally acknowledge that is also always absurd. And I think that that really is beautifully captured in her book and also in Izzy's book. Mm. But um, there's an excerpt from The Cost of Living that we can link to. Mm. Yeah, you're right. She writes very much in Sunbathing about how 
going through the process of grieving is just, it's embarrassing and it's kind of annoying. Mm. Yeah. And hey, I've got a book recommendation from the author herself. Oh my God, gimme. It's Losing Face by George Haddad. She describes it as quintessentially Australian. Notes that the dialogue is perfection. Oh, yeah. It's a Western suburb, Sydney, queer Arab novel. An exclusive little wreck. Yeah, if it's from Isabel, I'm going to read it. Oh my God, same. The Melbourne International Film Festival program is finally out in the world. All of the films, Jinxie, that you have been seeing and thinking about and programming and not allowed to talk about for months, you can finally, you've broken the seal on like the Dolly Doctor (laughs) insert and you can finally share what's been inside. Yeah, it's really exciting to have it out in the world. So I'm one of the features programmers and I put together the talks and events for the Melbourne International Film Festival, along with a great team of programmers and the artistic director. And it's finally out. It's quite exciting because you do all these like funny little deals for like more than a year. Like, you know, you work on the festival for more than a year, like each festival, but you can't tell anyone about anything. And it's just really nice to be able to and you actually point people to these films and... And they can book tickets and go and see them. I know. And also this is your third year as a programmer of the festival, but it's the first year that we are going to be, I mean, not to harp on it too much, but like we've been stifled in winter in Melbourne for two years now. So we're finally like back in the cinema, back doing all the thi- Like MIF is such an integral part of winter in Melbourne, as is like the football and... I don't know, end of list for me, honestly. Hmm. Myth dominates my life for a few weeks every winter. And it's just so nice to like have it back and alive and like in person again. Yeah. Cause I moved to Melbourne for, to work at the festival mm. to program it. And uh, yeah, we've just been online for the last couple of years. Like we've had festivals online, but this is my first as a pro, like I've been coming to Myth for forever and Mm. hosting events and blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, this is my first time in cinemas as a programmer. So that's very exciting. And Mm. I've been to a number of film festivals in person this year. Mm -hmm. And it's like at each one, like I love the online thing, like it's great and it's very accessible. And it means that people outside of the Melbourne, you know, CBD can go like all around Australia, you can watch it. And also if you have different like accessibility needs, etc., that's a great way to be able to watch these films. Yeah. But there is something to be said for just being around other people and sharing. Like, I don't want to be too much of a dag about it, but it's just such a thrill to, when like your whole life is, you know, like you, like every winter, like that's what you do. You go to this festival. Yeah. You complain about heaps of things, like not you, but one <laughs> does like, oh, the yes. line's too long or the seat's uncomfortable or there wasn't, like my coffee was bad or whatever. Sorry, that wouldn't happen because we're in Melbourne. But <laughs> you really miss all those things when they go away. Like totally. it's like those funny little details. There are some places in the city that I only eat at during Myth. Like yeah. there's a ramen place across the road from the comedy theatre. And like, when the fuck am I at the comedy theater besides during Myth? And I know that I can stop in and get the most delicious bowl of ramen and then be on my way for my next film within like 20 minutes. I feel like you and I, maybe the first time we ever hung out was going to a Myth film, maybe with Emily. 
I have a vague memory of us getting Lord of the Fries. Oh, God, yes. Before seeing a film years ago. And we saw, did we see First Reformed together at Myth? We did see First Reformed together and we saw Ingrid Goes West. Ingrid Goes West. We've seen quite a few. Two brilliant films. But you know what? I actually remember the other day, the first time I messaged you to hang out one-on-one was because I had an extra ticket to the opening night. Of Miff, and I messaged, oh. I DM'd you on Twitter, going, "Hi, oh, you, we've met a few times through Emily, but um, oh my god, I've got a and you were busy. I was gonna say, I didn't, <laughs> I've never been to opening night. Well, you're not coming now because of all those years ago, BL. Yes, I am. I'm planning my formal <laughs> dress for this year. <laughs> yeah, it's such a thrill to be able to share all these, you know, films that. Largely only the programming team have seen and not Mm. everyone sees all of the films. There are a bunch of films that I haven't seen yet. Mm. There are films in there that I'm the only one who's seen it. So Mm. it's really exciting. Yeah. I want to get into a few of these. So for listeners, we're going to be breaking down the program strands of which there are many on our Instagram and Kate's going to give a few picks under each strand if you need some tips on films to book or you've got a few holes in your schedule and you want to know what one of the MIF programmers recommends, we're going to be posting that on our Instagram at See Also Podcast this coming week. And it, if you're listening to this late, it'll be saved as a highlight. But Jinxie, let's dig in. I want to know, because you were most recently in Cannes for the film festival, you were seeing like five films a day. Which are the ones that you saw then that you are very excited for us slash me to be able to see. <laughs> I see Myth. how this is going. Yeah, this um, is my personal recommendation <laughs> machine. Okay. At Cannes, there were two films that I laughed almost nonstop through, which was a, a real joy because I was seeing quite a lot of bleak dramas uh-huh. that were very affecting and moving and beautiful. And I booked all of them, but sick of myself, this new Norwegian black comedy, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's one of those films that could get a bit lost in the program because it's not like one of the big gala headliners, but it's about this completely narcissistic young couple. One of them works in a cafe and the other is an artist, like a bad boy artist. Oh God, it's just, I love it. And I'm sold already. And they just keep, keep trying to like one up each other in their bragging and or being kind of drawing attention to themselves. And finally, the girl in the couple <laughs> strikes on this idea where she can take something and it will forever alter her body and no one will be able to look away, essentially. Like she will be in the front of every conversation forever. Oh, wow. And it kind of gets a little out of hand. It's I can't say too much more about yeah. I knew nothing. The thing is, like, I also almost know nothing about any of the films. So there's not a lot of hype unless it's like the new Cronenberg, which yes, you got to see. Yeah. Anyway, I loved that. It was really great. And also Triangle of Sadness, the new Robin Ustlin film. So funny. So That's abject. At the top of my list. Yeah. Yeah. So they're great. I fell really deeply in love with this film called The Eight Mountains. This Italian film, if you've just read Sunbathing, you know, and you need to go back into the Italian countryside, this is for you. Oh, bellissimo. It it is just so what's Italian for divine? Divine. I don't know. <laughs> Divina. <laughs> Divina. <laughs> I loved that. I loved the mountain. Falcon Lake, this really gorgeous French Canadian film of quite an eerie film about these two teenagers one summer. 
Gorge. Uh, Godland, uh, which is a new Icelandic film, fantastic and kind of a must-see on the big screen, I would say. Majestic. I'd use the word majestic. My silence, uh, listeners, is just me writing all of these down. Brody is literally writing them down. Despite my long list currently being 31 films, not including what's on streaming, uh, I need more. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope After Sun is on your list. Absolutely is. That's one of our big competition films. It's by Charlotte Wells and it says Paul Meskel. As a literal daddy. Yeah, he is literally a daddy on a holiday in the 90s with his young daughter. Great soundtrack. I think you'll find some Brand Van 3000 on that soundtrack. Decision to Leave by Park Chan-wook. That was great. Layaria I loved. I really enjoyed the new Claire Denis film, Stars at Noon. Mm. A lot of Twitter talk about that one, but I thought it was great. Margaret Polly was excellent. What's Twitter saying? I famously deleted it. (laughs) Yes. At the time, it was... It's not what they wanted from a Claire Denis film or... Right, okay. I don't know. I found it... I'll watch Margaret Qualley do fucking anything. She's she's incredible. Incredible. It also stars uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Oh, yeah, Joe Alwyn. Gosh, he's boring. He's a bit bit stiff, I'd say. And there's a bit of a Safdie Brothers cameo in that one. Speaking of the Safdie Brothers, they also produced Funny Pages, which I mm. highly recommend. I think I might have mentioned this one. It's by Owen Klein. That Owen Klein is the kid from Squid and the Whale. Yeah, so if you want to feel fucking old. Which I do. This, I have since the second you told me that. He is a writer director. Also, fully I, grown out. I knew he was Kevin Klein's son, but I didn't know that Kevin Klein married Phoebe Case. Yes. What the fuck? I know. They've been married for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Drop dead Fred's friend Phoebe Case. <laughs> I loved this film so much about this young kid who basically drops out of school to pursue his dreams of being a graphic novelist and he's slumming it and he moves into the most disgusting apartment ever seen on screen. It makes me feel really sweaty thinking about it. It's kind of very Terry's Wygoff, John Waters land. Mm, we're going to, it's kind of inspired a little future episode we're going to do about some graphic novel adaptations on screen and, and comic book movies and things like that. So yeah. I'm really excited to see that one. And also Rodeo by Lola Quimbron, this French film essentially about your favourite topic after you what binge tried to get you to watch BMX Bandits. Oh. This is essentially about dirt bike enthusiasts. Sick. And this drifter girl joins this weird gang of bike enthusiasts and it is just Excellent. It looks great. Like visually looks incredible. Oh, I saw it in IMAX and it is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It was shot in IMAX? No, it's, we're screening it in, at IMAX. Oh, okay. Mm. I should try to get tickets to that yeah, one. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, the Mountain, did I mention that? I think I did. I really loved that. There's just like, there's a lot. There is a lot in there. Can you give me your top? Um, I mean, we'll do this on our Instagram, but Night Shift is one of my favorite program strands at MIF. It's the late night horror gory stuff it's where i remember seeing your next and just screaming in the cinema at certain points vhs all of that kind of stuff i remember seeing late night at mm. night shift what are some of the horror 
films this year that I can't miss. Well, remember a few episodes ago, I talked about my love of the British journal Weird Walk. Yes. If you're after like pagan wanderings, you need to see Ennis Main. It's spelled Ennis Men, but you pronounce it Ennis Main by Mark Jenkins, who made the film Bait, which I really adored. He shoots it on Bolex. This is his first film using that method in colour, and it is a really odd, beautiful folk thriller, pagan folk thriller about a woman who is on an island by herself on a Cornish island, a stone island, or an Ennis Main. And uh, um, I was about to say, is Ennis mean her name? Yeah, no, it's, it means Stone Island in Cornish. And uh, strange things are afoot. There's a standing stone. I mm. loved it. Yum, yum, yum for me. That is just <laughs> all those words together. Yes. I just, it is me in a it movie. It equals yeah. Jinx, yeah. I, just, I was so thrilled to see it. It was the one film I saw at Cannes, actually, and my mouth was open watching it. Like, I was just like, oh. <gasps> I can't believe it. <laughs> anyway, so that was very exciting. You manifested that. Mm. And Flux Gourmet, the Peter Strickland film, is so fun. It is a delight for the senses. It is disgusting. It is abject. And, yeah, it's essentially about this artist's residency program for people who use the culinary arts as their main practice and a noise band who use, like, food and food equipment do this undertake this residency uh-huh. and then a lot of problems happen Gwendolyn Christie's mm. in it I saw in the trailer which she's just so fun and mm. makes such funny choices yeah she's really good in this and so is the guy from sex education that everybody loves I haven't watched sex education he's like the main guy he's okay. the son of our gal Scully Gillian Anderson. Anderson. Okay. Anyway, so he's in it. It's just so good. Peter Strickland, I feel like I don't know enough about him, but I saw In Fabric and thought it was so delightfully weird and spooky and chilling and funny. Yeah. So he's now one of those directors that I'm like, well, I'll go wherever you want to take I, me. I'll see anything that he makes. Yeah. I really love Barbarian Sound Studio as well. And James from Broadcast did the soundtrack for that. It was so cool. Oh, cool. Love. And there are a few standout Australian or local films on the program. Yeah. Elena Lodkina has a new film. It's in competition. It's called Petrol. She made Strange Colours a few years ago. I really love this and it's all shot kind of around Carlton and it's very fun Oh, cool! to watch. And I also really loved our opening night film Of an Age by Goran Stalevsky. He's got two films in the program. The other one is You Won't Be Alone. But Of an Age is just this beautiful bittersweet coming of age queer romance that's so funny and so dialogue driven it's so good i remember when it was announced as the opening night film and you were like oh my god i can't wait for people to see this <laughs> it's so good um and emil cotton wilson's man on earth is really great it is uh, essentially about follows a man who has chosen to end his own life with an assisted dying method in the States. And it's very tender and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh, and back to back theater made a great film based on one of their plays called shadow. It's such a good time. It won a big audience awards earlier this year. Oh, cool. And it's really, it's really great. And it only goes for 56 minutes. So you can fit it into your schedule. Oh, excellent. The trailer for that was so funny. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, and a few, look, I know I've been talking for a while, but a few more, if I may, Oh, my God. 
That's what we're here for. <laughs> I know, but it might get boring. If you're not in Melbourne, many of these films will be on Myth Play, which is our online program. It's accessible all around Australia. And also a lot of these films are playing in festivals overseas or are in cinemas overseas. So these are still tips. They're still good tips, They're even if you're tips. not in Melbourne. Yeah. I really always love the documentary program and um, helping to put that together. Sarah Dose's Fire of Love is a must-see in cinema. Adding it to my list. Mm, I'm watching you write it down. Um, Fire of Love? Fire of Love, about these two, a couple who were volcanologists. The only thing they loved more than each other was lava. And (laughs) Miranda July narrates, and it is really beautiful. It's like full archival footage. It's just stunning mm-hmm. um more docs there's if you're into sustainable fashion i've got one for you it is called fashion reimagined and it is about amy powley who uh who is the creative director of london brand mother of pearl and it's about her journey to create actually fully sustainable clothes it's in the wheelhouse of a lot of people who listen i think yeah totally uh nelly and nadine this beautiful documentary about these two women who met in a concentration camp uh, on Christmas day and fell in love and then managed to both survive the concentration camps multiple and found each other after they were released. And this goes through lots of incredible archival footage and they're one of their granddaughters finding out about the entire relationship essentially on screen. It's really, I saw that in Berlin. I loved it. Oh, we've got the new Luca Guadagnino movie. Excuse me. It's a documentary about Salvatore Ferragamo. We've got We Students, which is the only the second feature out of the Central African Republic. And then more experimental stuff. One that you're really excited about is a film I'm really excited about, and that's Charlie Shackleton's The Afterlight. Can't wait. If you miss it, it's also playing in Sydney and Brisbane around... We'll put the dates up, but... And it's the exact same film that will be the same print right yeah there's only one print of this film that's it there is nothing else there's no master in it's comprised of old film clips so the director is actually bringing out the print the 135 mil print uh in his hand luggage to australia from the uk charlie made a documentary a few years ago called beyond clueless which i kind of just formed my personality around for a few years there i had a poster on my kitchen wall i've got a vhs tape still next to my tv adore charlie and his work and i saw him post today like the schedule of screenings that were coming up including the one the first one at miff and I was looking at the dates and I was like, what's going to happen if the the postage is delayed? We're just lucky um, We're that so he's going to bring it himself. I'm very excited to, um, this is a little plug. I'm going to be hosting a panel at the festival with Charlie and a couple of other very clever people. I'll put a link in the show notes. We sure will. And it's free to attend that one. You just have to RSVP. And then what else have we got? Oh my God. We've got this incredible film. We've got two incredible films by Amanda Kramer, the American director, but one of them is called Give Me Pity, and it stars Sophie von Hasselberg, who is Bette Midler's daughter. 
Oh, that's the one. Yeah, and she looks just like Bette Midler. Oh, my God. That's on like my a, list. It's like one woman variety hour show, essentially, uh, on screen. And it is dazzling and eerie and weird and cool. The description of that film sounds incredible. Yeah, very, very, very cool. And there's one film that I haven't seen yet that mm. I am so – there are quite a few in there that I haven't seen, but one that I'm really excited to see, which is De Humanis Corpus Fabrica, and it – is shot almost entirely with laparoscopic cameras Oh, inside the human body. Oh, my God. And it's shot in between, I think, four or five different French hospitals. So you really get to see wow. up close and personal. Gooey. Yeah, really, I'm really thrilled about that one. <laughs> there should be walkouts. I hope so. But um, And I know you love a music doc. Love. There's Nothing Compares, the new Sinead O'Connor doc, which is very good and mm-hmm. goes into – her childhood and also how unfairly she was treated. Yeah. And it will make you want to listen to every single Sinead O'Connor album. It's very good. She's my go-to karaoke song. What song is that? Nothing compares to you. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's very good. Everyone joins in by the end and I want to be like, shh, this isn't a choir. It's just me. <laughs> um, back to the movies. Anyway. <laughs> uh, there's also Moon Age Daydream, which is like a mm. kaleidoscopic David Bowie doc. Uh, the first time that any filmmaker has ever been given like unfettered access to his archives, to his mm. estate. That's so an that IMAX, be, right? Yeah. So wow. that would be pretty exciting. And Who Killed the KLF, which kind of goes into the myth behind the band it's really entertaining oh i don't think i saw that one on the program Mm, it's a good one and um a personal fave is jane by charlotte charlotte gainsburg's film about her mother jane birkin it's a really intimate mother-daughter movie i'm really excited to see that it's really lovely can i tell you some of mine um, Please. that are on my list. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, docs. I want to see homosexuality, a film for discussion, which screens with a couple of other shorts. And that is a film that I am deeply obsessed with. Really? Yeah. I really adore that film. And I'm so excited about being able to show that in the cinema. It was made in 1975 by Barbara Creed, who a lot of people would know as an academic and a film writer. And, you know, she, took a camera to the streets and shot all these locals on in, in the Melbourne CBD mostly and asked them about how they felt about rights for homosexuals in Australia. And the answers are funny and maddening and dispiriting and heartening. Uh, it's quite incredible. The footage is really stunning. So I'm very excited about that. There are so many, um, I mean, Melbourne on film is like a strain running through the program this year and even the films that aren't in that strand of formal programming it feels like there's you know local references are popping up everywhere pub um i'm really excited about age of rage um about the australian punk scene and i saw that there's a documentary called senses of cinema which is not about the journal but it made me remember that the senses of cinema film journal is where i first ever had my first ever piece of writing published Oh, cool. What did you write about? I wrote about the film Somersault by Kate Shortland. That's great. Yeah, for a final year uni assignment. Oh, and that's then cool. My teacher submitted it to Sense of Cinema. That's really nice. Pretty cool. Well, speaking of writing, I wrote a whole essay about uh, homosexuality form for discussion, oh. which is in the Melbourne on Film book that is coming out as well. Oh, great. And launching at the festival, hmm. along with 
a shared favorite, Love and Other Catastrophes. Yeah, that opens the strand uh, and it's going to be a thrill. It plays on 35 mil. It's a film that I was deeply obsessed with and really made me want to move to Melbourne in the 90s. Do you think Helen Garner is going to be there? We can only hope, BL. Supporting our daughter. Um, yeah, I just a quick shout out to the other features programmer, Kate, for putting together that massive whopper strand. It's so good. It's, there's so much in it. The Marcel the Shell with Shoes on film is in the program. I'm very curious about how the funny little shell from YouTube Shorts 10 years ago adapts to a feature length film. I've heard kind of nothing but great things about the feature and I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, me too. I haven't seen it. That's on my list. Mm. Micah Monroe is in a film called The Watcher and I will watch a Micah Monroe do anything. <laughs> um, and Bodies, 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 the new A24 meta millennial, zennial, whatever, horror slasher film starring Pete Davidson and what's her name from Shiver Baby? Rachel Sennett, that looks really fun. I know that the focus is often about like the big films and the headliners and the galas and stuff, but I put together this strand of films by this incredible Hungarian director. Her name is Marta Mizorosh, and she was the first woman to ever win the Golden Bear at Berlin. She's a two-time Cannes Prize winner. And I put together five films of hers that have been restored and they're all brilliant. I felt so deeply in love with her work putting this together. It's on my personal Instagram at Kate Jinx if anyone wants to do a deep dive into them. I really, do you think it's enough to only see a couple of those or should I invest and see all of them while I have the chance? I'm absolutely the wrong person to ask (laughs) because I would say that they're all essential, but two of them, Adoption and Don't Cry Pretty Girls are going to be on Myth Play. Adoption's probably my favorite, Mm -hmm. but that changes. Don't Cry Pretty Girls is essentially like a Hungarian late sixties beatnik film. It's like a proto-musical. Mm, they were the two that were on my list. Yeah. It's like a proto-music film clip, I guess. All right. Well, somehow my list just got longer. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I've got a little work to do ahead of me. Mm-hmm. But congratulations. Thank you. And I don't know, if anyone wants to reach out and have like a sp- – not just for like highlights, but like a specific like I want a film that will make me feel this. Mm. Happy to jump in. If you're like, hmm, I really want to f- watch a Czech New Wave film about a cat that wears magical glasses, I've got the movie for you, and it's the Cassandra cat. <laughs> Can I have a prescription for my all-time favourite kind of myth slash film festival experiences when I get like a, a kind of mumblecore-esque independent American film about like skinny girls and their problems (laughs) they're always having baths with their clothes on in these movies anyway is there a film that's kind of like mumblecore adjacent on the program it's not about skinny white girls in a bath i know the kind of film that you're after we do have one aubrey plaza film and it's excellent emily the criminal oh yeah but i would point you in the direction of the african desperate Mm. really funny okay going on the list. Yeah. And so I, even I haven't seen all of the films in the program, but, and I haven't seen many of the shorts and that's what I'm kind of, that's what I'm excited about seeing all of the shorts in the XR program at this point. Oh my God. The XR program is just a whole nother world. I know. Anyway, it's very exciting. And we've sort of not even scratched the surface of the program. There's so much more in there. It's like, I haven't even talked about 
like all my favorite European films or like African and Middle Eastern films. We'd be here all day. I know. It would be very boring for many people. Anyway, it's all at miff.com.au. The festival starts on the 4th of August, runs in cinemas to the 21st of August, and then Miff Play is on from the 11th to the 28th of August. It's exciting. See you at the bloody movies. Okay, it's time for Also Also's. This is the segment where we recommend different things that aren't films or books or suitcases. My first one is a cook also. It's a recipe that I've now made twice in the last fortnight. No, in the last week, but including leftovers, I've had it about five times and I'm going to be making it again. It's the black pepper tofu and eggplant recipe from the cooking blog Smitten Kitchen. Shout out Deb Perelman. Every recipe on that website, you just know it's going to be good because she tests, she tweaks, she writes cookbooks, she adapts other people's recipes. She's just the best. It's this really kind of, it's a dish that's like more complex than the sum of its parts. It's basically eggplant and firm tofu that you you coat the eggplant in oil you coat the tofu in corn flour and you bake them in the oven and while you're doing that you make this sauce that's just onion or shallots garlic and ginger cooked down in butter and then you just add a very basic sauce of like heaps of black pepper brown sugar and soy sauce and it comes together into this like sweet like the spice that you get from black pepper alone is kind of unreal and then you just toss through your your crispy tofu and your really soft jammy eggplant at the end eat it over rice i've like i said i've had it like five times in the last week and i was away for five days in the last week sounds delicious it's so yummy and very vegan friendly if Mm. you just sub the butter for olive oil yum yum I've got to listen also. Mm-hmm. There's a new Sharon Van Etten album. Thrilling for me. Huge. Huge. It's called We've Been Going About This All Wrong. Been waiting since 2019 mm. for a new album. What was her last one called? Remind Me Tomorrow. It was so good. I lived off that album. Is it a pandemic concept album? I don't know, but whatever. It is so great that I haven't even listened to this all the way through in one go. Like it's always been in like dribs and drabs so far because like I've been, you know, writing, etc., and not having much time to just listen. Mm. And I have to keep turning it off because it's too interesting. And like it pulls me in <laughs> it and pulls my be, focus. Can't be background music. No. So I'm excited to actually get into that properly this weekend. Mm-hmm. I've got a organize also slash sleep also. Um, just a reminder to replace your pillows. My pillow, I don't know about anyone else, but I, I sleep with six pillows on my bed and I try every year to replace one or two of them. And you can kind of tell visually which are the oldest ones because we're gross. Our bodies are disgusting and the things that we sleep on bear the brunt of it. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about pillow stains on the podcast, but I kind of already am. I bought two new pillows in the end of financial year sale on Adair's. I'm not recommending like a specific brand or type, just a pillow recommendation, a habit, if you will. I'm also going to put a link in the show notes for the an advice column on Esquire that was written by Jolly Care, who is my go-to for cleaning advice, which was all about like the pillows that you can wash and how to wash them to get a little bit more life out of them. Because she's basically like, 
the the official advice will tell you to replace a pillow every 12 to 18 months but I'm a human who lives in the world and so that advice is unrealistic for me which I appreciate and there's like information in there about the things that you can recycle versus the things that go to landfill oh that sounds good because often an article about pillow hygiene is just going to be scary to open because you're just going to be like well I won't sleep tonight yeah when they mention the mites um I don't think I have mites, but we do we all? I don't know. I don't know. Isn't it all like dead skin flakes? It's, it's all our old skin, our sebums, our saliva. Oh. Anyway, I bought two side sleeper friendly pillows. One is high and soft and one is high and firm. Okay, good. Big, uh, big news around here. <laughs> uh, speaking of big news, I've got a treat also. Remember how I recommended dog treats that are only available in the UK and Europe. And we live in Australia. What's this? Yeah. What's this? Currently trying to get someone coming out for miffed big hubs and wussies for me. <laughs> are they packing them in with the afterlight? I'm hoping <laughs> so. I'm hoping so. But yeah, I've got an Australian one. It's called Dog Crumble. <laughs> Look, the name is no wussies, but it I, says, I assume it does what it says on the packet. <laughs> Truly, it does. It's got dog crumble. It's from Dog by Dr. Lisa. I'll tell you what, I only heard about this because I get a lot of Instagram ads for dog treats. <laughs> well, Top Chef famously has his own Instagram account. Exactly, but they come to mine. <laughs> like, not even his. They're just straight in mine. Uh, anyway, it's all natural, plant-based, and it's nice to have, like, a little treat that's not, like, incredibly stinky in your house. And it comes in a nice mm. tin, and you get, like, a little pocket-sized tin to take with you. But the good thing is that it is that's not high in calories for little Top Chef. Oh, God, no. But... <laughs> The best thing is that it's it's very it's actually like a crumble like it's very small pieces so you can just give him tiny bits all throughout the day and it's okay. They can sprinkle it on top of the food mm. like LSA for dogs. So mummy has her tahini granola and Top Chef has his crumbles. <laughs> mummy goes to the morning market. Doggy goes to dog by Dr. Lisa. How <laughs> foul! What have I become? A mummy. Oh yeah. My last one is a dip also, and this is a kind of a shout out to you as well <laughs> for bringing this into my life the first time. I never was able to track it down again. And then last week you arrived at my home bearing a container of it and I'm rationing it like you wouldn't fucking believe. <laughs> I've already tried to replace it for you and it's already out of stock. You can't find it. It's the chili lemon hummus from the brand Pilpel, which is available in like every supermarket, IGA, corner shop in Australia, or at least in Melbourne, they sell hummus in every variety you can find. But if you're looking for the chili lemon, you're fucking out of luck. Unless you're <laughs> Kate once every six months. Mm -hmm. Jinxie brought this to a picnic at the end of like last year. Like we were just yeah. coming out of lockdown, I think. It's cherry blossom season. And Emily and I were like, what is this? I've never had this flavor. And you're like, you can get it everywhere. I have spent the last eight months looking for it everywhere. I gave up. And then you arrived at my door bearing chili lemon hummus. 
It's really good. It's so good. I went to Baker's Delight on Monday and I got the garlic scroll for my little morning snack and I left the butt of the scroll to dunk in my chili lemon hummus. So yum. Oh, it was so yummy. Thank you. Oh, anytime. Well, not anytime. Every six months. (laughs) Delish. Delish. So delish. My last one is a pod also, but it's a specific episode of a much loved podcast. Much profiled podcast it's the it's the favorite podcast of the media elite Mm, it truly is there was a vogue article about the rise of like bro podcasts last year Brocasts. Brocasts. so sorry uh (laughs) that's also my nickname (laughs) (laughs) it should be uh it's the how long gone podcast hosted by chris black and jason stewart two very tall californians um Essentially, it's like I don't listen to many podcasts with two men hosting. Mm-hmm. I listen to anything that Alexi Toliopoulos and Cameron James do. I listen to... They're the exception, not the rule, generally. Absolutely. And I listen to Los Culturistas, of course. Mm-hmm. I'm not an idiot. But the only other one I can think of is How Long Gone. I adore How Long Gone. It's one of my faves. And I had a moment during COVID where I was like, has the pandemic turned me into someone who just listens to two straight white guys talk to each other? Because that became a lot of my listening during lockdown. But there's just something about those those tall men. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So a conversation on the weekend prompted me to go back and re-listen to the podcast because I kind of dip in and out of this one I have to say because they have a lot of guests and sometimes I don't always want the guest yeah you know that's you run the risk the Chris and Jason only episodes are must listen and absolutely then it's a guest by guest basis however this one is a guest one and it's John Early and it is the one like John Early's obviously great on every podcast that he's on so charming effortlessly charming but This one is, they don't talk about his career at all. They don't talk about what he's doing, his new show, working with Kate Berlant, like nothing. They don't go into anything. It's just like talking about restaurants and the Elvis movie. That is pretty much the entire podcast episode. And it really kind of saved me this week. Like I was listening to it in little, like doling it out for myself on little walks. It really put a smile on my dial. It's so fun. Like John Early coming to my team and railing against natural wines and just saying he wants to eat, drink artificial wines, which same. He also says he likes wild wines. So you never know. You never know. (laughs) Yeah. He talks about like where he shops, where he goes out, etc. And to give you an idea of how long this has been going on for, that episode was 363. So you've got a lot. If you haven't been listening, you got a lot to go back through. I can I can give a I can give a curated highlights of how long gone you if should. anyone's oh, interested in that. I'd like that. Yes. And I also weirdly that's your also but I have a see also from that episode which is after that episode aired the writer Matt Rodbard who has been a previous guest on the podcast he writes for tastecooking.com he profiled Jason Stewart and the headline of the article is we pay attention to what podcast host Jason Stewart is roasting and it's all about just his opinions on food and trends and places to eat and what he wants from a restaurant which is like an older server who like cracks jokes and brings you mustard. Classic. Yeah. I love when these also also work entirely for us. <laughs> this is all just a, a selfish exercise. I don't know if anyone's picked that up yet. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and a nice review, we would love that. And you can share the podcast with your friends, tag us on Instagram at Podcast. You can also find all of our also's, all of Kate Smith recommendations and a bunch of other stuff on our Instagram. As always, a big thanks to Samuel Hodge for our imagery and Harvey Sutherland for our theme music. Bye-bye. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.